This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 119, and we are recording on February 20th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. All of my windows are open. It's like 70 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's super warm here, too, actually. I should open a window. I So my apartment doesn't have the best insulation, so I plastic sealed all but two of my windows mm-hmm. to keep the apartment warmer. So I can only open two of my, like, eight windows. <laughs> but that should be enough to get me some nice t- fake spring air. It is fake spring. Oh, yeah, because it's going to be freezing like in a week, I I bet. But yeah. (laughs) Anyway, what are you reading? (laughs) I am reading. So one book that I'm in the middle of right now is Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower by Brittany Cooper, which is super appropriate considering the times um mm. like in the in the era of me too particularly now that publishing is having its me too moment i'm all about a book called eloquent rage um i talked about it on all the books i'm on all the books this week and i talked about it a bunch on all the books but i will just say to you all that you should pick up this book because it is such an eloquent it's true it it, <laughs> it like fulfills its mission it's a really eloquent look at feminist theory, particularly black feminist theory, what that looks like and how we, how, how everything is so messy and complicated in terms of actual daily life practices versus what we would prefer to be true and what we believe in, um, and how we reconcile those things. So I, I'm just, um, she's, she's amazing. So yeah, that's Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. What are you reading? Um, I just finished last night uh, Make Trouble by Cecile Richards. Nice. Uh, And this is her memoir. It's so good. Uh, She's the president of Planned Parenthood, or was. She just resigned like two weeks ago, right? Mm. Um, To do what nobody knows what she's doing next. Uh, My theory is that she's going to run for some kind of office. Who knows? Uh, Yeah, I know. Um, Would support. I would, A plus, would give many dollars to and wear lots of pink for. But uh, this is like... Everything that I really love about a memoir, it's like quirky childhood stories plus powerful woman with lots of children making her life run with a helpful husband and also, you know, progressive troublemaking and agitating. And I didn't realize that she got her start, like, out of college. Her career was um, union organizing, so she's, like, very used to, like, being arrested and... She speaks fluent Spanish and like her entire progressive career got started that way, which I really love. Um, hmm. And then when she was put in charge of Planned Parenthood, she totally turned that organization around. I mean, it was embroiled in constant attacks from conservatives and um, their like website didn't work when she took over. And she's not she has not been president of Planned Parenthood for that long. Um, but when she took over, the website was just like a an explanation of what they provided, but you couldn't make appointments. You couldn't search for a location. Like it just didn't function at all. And so like the way that she's turned it around and made it a really big political powerhouse has been, it's just fascinating. Um, so yeah, 
it's great. She's a really funny writer. She's very down to earth. I mean, she's from Texas and you can tell. Like she talks, <laughs> like she's, she writes just the way she speaks, like in that very down home, um, comforting, like she's your friend. I did, I will admit, have to skip the entire chapter about her election night because she was at Javits with Hillary Clinton oh, nope. on election nope. night. Yeah. And yes. And her daughter, Lily, was the communications director for the Clinton campaign. So like everyone's sobbing all the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not, re- I'm not ready to relive this. So I skipped that part. But the rest of the book is great. Um, and I'm really excited to see what she does in the future. Run for office. That's what she's going to do. Right? Like what else is she going to do? Where do you go in progressive politics from being the president of Planned Parenthood if it's not to run for something? I don't know. I, I guess we'll find this. out. We will, I hope. Okay, anyway, so that's what I'm reading now or have just finished. Um, so for those of you who are new to the show, like I mentioned, this is the show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can send us your reading recommendation requests, whether you need something for yourself or a book club or a gift or whatever. You can email those to us at uh, getbooked@bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If, you, if your question is time-sensitive, please let us know in the first line of the form or in the subject line of the email. We might email you back our answers if we've already answered your question or if we're not going to get to it in time. Um, and yeah, that is how the show works. Oh, I did also want to mention that right now we are running a really great giveaway on our Instagram account. We're giving away $500 worth of the Penguin Clothbound Classics, which are those like beautifully designed Coralie Bickford Smith penguin classics that like I personally collect and have almost all of them and I love them so much. Um, and so we picked out $500 worth of like our very favorite ones. Uh, and we are going to give away the whole kit and caboodle to someone. And the, the giveaway is open until March 13th. All you need to do is go to our Instagram account. It's instagram.com slash book riot, obviously. Um, and it's sticky at the top of the profile and to enter, you just tag a friend. That's it. And we will pick one random person to win the whole big box. Um, so go do that. Yeah. All right, so we're going to read our first question, talk about our first sponsor, and then get rolling. All right. Our first question is from Mary Beth, who says, I recently finished reading Red Clocks by Lenny Zumas, and I really, really loved and related to Roe and Jin's independence. They didn't have current romantic slash life partners, and they weren't agonizing over being alone or over trying to find someone. I'm getting sick of novels where women spend a lot of time worrying about being, quote unquote, on the shelf. I would like to read more books with women who are single and proud, and romance isn't anywhere near the top of their priority list, and willing to read any genre, length, or format can can't wait to hear what you have to recommend. We do indeed have recommendations, but first. Okay, but first we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which I'm really excited about. It's The Bells by Danielle Clayton, which speaking of Instagram has been all over Instagram recently. Mm-hmm. It's got a beautiful cover. Um, it's very photographable. So this is a YA fantasy novel about a girl named Camellia Beauregard, who is a bell, which in this mu- this magical world, um, people are born gray. And a bell is a person who uses, it uses her magical abilities to transform them and make them beautiful. So she is a bell the main character, Camellia, and she doesn't just want to exist doing that. She wants to be the best one. So she wants to move into the, the royal court, be chosen by the queen um, as like, and be the one who tends to the royal family and all of the, the fancy, fancy pantses who live in the court. But once she gets there and be, kind of becomes the favorite of the royal court, she realizes that there are a lot of secrets, really, really dark secrets hiding behind the walls of the palace and that her existence is kind of a lie and there are secrets about her powers and the things that she's asked to do with them. So, um, and I just wish I could like 
put the cover in front of you now because it's so fancy. Um, but Danielle is an amazing writer. She's also a founder of Cake Literary, which is a literary development company. And she's the CEO or the COO of We Need Diverse Books, which I know you've heard of. So if you really liked like Kira Cass's selection series, then this is definitely going to be up your alley. So go check that out. That's The Bells by Danielle Clayton. Okay. I just keep going. So the book that I picked for you is not a novel. It's an epistolary not novel, epistolary book. It's a collection of letters. That was a weird way of putting it. It's a collection of letters. It's 84 Charing Cross Road by Helen, Helen, Helene, Helene Hamp. Um, and this is kind of a classic of books about books. Uh, it was written in the 70s, but it starts, I'm pretty sure, like right after the war or during the war, because there is still talk of rationing. Uh, World War II is the war that I mean. Um, and it's about this woman, Helene, who lives in New York. She's a freelance writer. She lives on her own. And she is writing to a used book dealer, a used and rare book dealer in London at 84 Charing Cross Road, asking them for, you know, she wants this book, she wants that book, she can't find it in the U.S., all the copies in the U.S. are, like, cheaply made and gross, and she wants, like, the nice, fancy ones. And then the one of the employees at this bookstore writes her back, and thus begins, like, a several decades of letters that they write back and forth about the, the books they love, their families, like they just become really close friends. And as far as I remember, I read this very recently, like last year, there's, there's certainly no romantic attraction between the two of them. Like he's married, has his own children. She lives in New York. I'm pretty sure she dates around, but like mostly she's focusing on writing. Eventually she becomes a TV writer, but it's just a really lovely book about a friendship that centers around a love for really old books. And there's just no, romance is not a thing. There's never a meditation about how she wishes she could come to London and marry him. Like that never happens. They're just talking about Plato (laughs) and Shakespeare. And it's just nice. It's very heartwarming. So that's 84 Charing Cross Road by Helene Hamph. I picked All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg for you because I love Andrea Byrne and I love that she is a 39 single woman who doesn't want children and is more concerned about what it means to be grown up on her own terms than what it means to be grown up on society's terms. So this is a novel. Uh, Andrea is a designer and she's like, you know, she's, she's uh, her brother and his wife have a child. So she's an aunt. Um, she has, you know, friends and a job and she's got like, she dates and, you know, there are several sex scenes um, in the book, but her primary, her primary sort of arc is really just dealing with what society is expecting her to be and how she's resisting that. So like she has friends who like she get people keep sending her links to or actual copies of this book about, you know, being a spinster in the modern age. And like the opening scene, I think of the book is her lighting one on fire. (laughs) It's so satisfying. Um, And, and she's not like, she's super imperfect. She is, you know, she drinks too much and She's made some poor life choices in terms of career. She, like, is decent at her job but doesn't really care. Um, She, you know, is trying to figure out, like, did she just miss her calling as an artist or was she never going to be an artist anyway? And what does being an artist even look like? And it's just, you know, she... She's just so interesting in terms of watching someone who, who really doesn't care about society's expectations, try to figure out what their life looks like in a way that's not a constant reply to society. 
So I think you will get some of the same feels um, from All Grown Up as you got from Red Clocks. So yes, that is All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg. Okay. Right. Oh, no, it's you. <laughs> it is me. Question two is from Kristen, who says, my friend and coworker is transferring to a new position within our company to Phoenix. She'll be driving from Ohio to Arizona with whatever she can fit in her car. While working together, I introduced her to audiobooks, and I thought a list of great audiobook recommendations would be the perfect parting gift. She loves steamy romances and a great male narrator's voice. I know that she's listened to all of Megan March's books and a Todd and has just recently discovered the Fifty Shades of Grey series, hoping to make her long drive enjoyable. Uh, thanks so much. Okay. Fifty Shades of Grey on audio must be such an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. I'm like doing an eyebrow waggle thing. <laughs> so, hey So I picked A Scott in the Dark by Sarah McLean for you because I, too, listened to this very steamy romance on audio on a long drive um, from here to the Outer Banks on vacation last year. Or was it two years ago? Two years ago. Um, and it was a lovely experience. I there The... The narrator is a woman, but she does the hero's voice, his like very deep Scottish brogue, and it's very nice. Um, she does a great job with it. So uh, this is about a ward, like a, a poor, a woman living, a woman, a poor, a woman living in poverty named Lily. Um, she is a ward of the Duke of Warnick, except the Duke of Warnick keeps changing, like they keep dying, accidental deaths, or you know, of old age or whatever. So she's had like she's gone through like nine dukes, and through the course of this people turning over the dukedom. She's pretty much been forgotten about by the estate and is mostly living her life kind of alone. Like she's taken care of, she has food and a place to live and um, servants to assist her and all of that. But like no one's really paying her much mind until she begins a relationship with a really famous artist um, who asks her to pose naked for a portrait. And she does because she loves him. And then he very publicly says he's going to reveal the portrait of her um, to the aristocracy. So she is basically ruined. Um, And then at the same time that this is happening, the dukedom has turned over yet again uh, to a new Duke of Warnock um, who lives in Scotland. He's a Scotsman with his own like big estate uh, and his own family. He's got sisters and he's, you know, up there living his life. And he wants, he doesn't like Britain. Like he doesn't like anything about England. He does not want the dukedom. He doesn't know what to do with it. And then he discovers, like, he is trying to get out, not get out of it because there's nothing he can do about it, but he's trying to, like, have as little to do with being a duke as possible. But then he discovers that not only does he have a ward, he has a ward who is about to come of age and who is now embroiled in this giant scandal. So he comes to London with the goal of getting her married so she can be someone else's problem and then going back to Scotland where he belongs. Um, That, of course, is not what happens. They meet... And they are both very stubborn. She really resists being controlled by him when she's lived pretty much most of her adulthood uh, in, in independence. She's still in love with the painter. Like, all of this is happening. Um, and they clash. And it's very much like a clash to love kind of a thing. But there's so much else going on in this book. Like, Warnick is a big dude. And there's a lot in here about his body image issues, which I really appreciated. I don't feel like you get a male perspective of, like, being self-conscious about his physical body much in romance like they're very often like quite physically impressive specimens um but that's not what's that's not like really the case here and um Lillian is uh not rowdy she's she's very spunky she's spirited I think is the word that I'm looking for (laughs) she's got she's got some spunk um to the point where like she gets herself in a lot of trouble and it's just fun to watch um so this is it's like a really fun um I really liked their 
their romance because he tries in that bumbling way of a lot of, of a lot of McLean heroes to control her, and she just kind of lols at him, which is great. Um, so their their pairing is they got like a lot of chemistry, um, and I really liked the art subplot. I thought that was fascinating, and it's just great on audio. Like the accents are really nice, um, and they're surprisingly long. Like you can get through a romance novel, I feel like in you know two sittings, but it's a nine hour audiobook, so it'll get her through to uh, to Phoenix. So that's a Scott in the Dark by Sarah McLean. I, as longtime listeners know, do not audiobook so much, um, so I had to double-check my pick for this one. And Jess Pride, who is on our When in Romance podcast and therefore knows much, she also writes our romance newsletter, um, she says that Destiny's Captive by Beverly Jenkins is... St- is steamy, excuse me, and has an awesome male narrator on audio. And I am always delighted to recommend Beverly Jenkins. She is fantastic. I haven't read this book, but I've read other books in this series and loved them. So this and this one has pirates. Um, so this one <laughs> is about the hero is Noah Yates, who is a sailor, and he like doesn't want to be tied down to like a family. He'd rather you know sail the high seas in search of adventure. And then he actually finds himself tied up by a woman. Uh, Pilar is descended from a long line of pirates and steals his ship because she needs it to save her family. So now he is like has to get his ship back from this woman who like tied him up and then you know romped off with his ship Um, which is a premise that is just wonderful (laughs) I love it so much Um, and my favorite thing about Beverly Jenkins's romances is that they are they're historicals, but they're not regencies. She's writing about different regions of the world um, and in history. So, like, for example, P- Pilar is Cuban. Um, and, you know, all of her characters, generally speaking, are characters of color. So you get just this whole different sort of spin on historical romance. But she still has all of the, like, ingredients that you want out of a romance. Her characters are great. The sex scenes are steamy. Um, and they're really fun and uh, engaging to read. So she's just, she's wonderful. Uh, so yes, that is Destiny's Captive, which is technically the third in the Destiny series. But as you know, we don't believe in reading series as an order. Um, and yeah, confirmed to be good on audio by Jess Pride. So go forth. Um, okay, so our next question is from Jesse, who says, I'm a first-year seventh-grade English teacher at a school in Massachusetts, and we're about to start a unit of fantasy short stories. Uh, after looking through the anthology that we'll be using, I've noticed something I want to change. The anthology only contains one story by an author of color, which is Caleb's Colors by Neil Schusterman. I'd love to teach a more diverse set of stories, so I'm looking for suggestions of fantasy short stories that would be appropriate for a middle school reading level. Do you know of any anthology? that exist. I would also be happy to read them a picture book or two. Um, I'll stop talking for a minute. Amanda, what you got? (laughs) Okay, I took this one to the contributors also because I was just drawing the biggest blank that ever blanked. Um, And our contributor, Ra, recommended Unnatural Creatures, which is a collection of YA middle grade um, short stories that are fantasy, science fiction, and thrillers uh, edited by Neil Gaiman. And this is literally like Neil Gaiman picking his favorite short stories (laughs) and like putting them in a book, which I thought was kind of charming. Um, So it's not all people of color, but there are several people of color who contributed to the collection. Um, and the stories, I think, 
are not too old for seventh grade. I mean, I was thinking about seventh grade and like, that's when I read Fahrenheit 451. So I don't think any of these are going to be like aged out of your classes. Um, reading ability. And also the sales from the book go to 8260C, which is a nonprofit that is dedicated to supporting students in like writing, like teaching them to write and helping teachers teach students how to write, which I thought was really nice. So there's a lot of, um, a nice range of stories here. Like um, one of them, the, the cartographer wasps and the anarchist bees is about like wasps who invade sentient bees homes. And there's like a plot like to overthrow the queen and to get the wasps out that it's really funny there's one about like a stain that's alive and as, as this like guy keeps trying to clean it the stain keeps moving and growing in this really creepy way um which reminded me a lot of Edgar Allan Poe Nettie Okorafor has um a story in here about a 12 year old girl who's named a witch by the villagers of the place where she lives because she has the ability she's a partial tongue essentially like she can speak to snakes um which is great I love that and Neil Gaiman himself does have a story in here so there's a lot to pick from lots of different styles um, and levels of creepiness, if that's a thing that you want to maybe work in um, to the unit at all. Uh, so yeah, so that's Unnatural Creatures, edited by Neil Gaiman. I have two picks for you because my first pick is not out until June. So obviously that won't work for you this year, um, but possibly for next year. It's called A Thousand Beginnings and Endings, and it's el edited by Ellen O and Elsie Chapman. And it is a a full short story collection of authors reimagining the folklore and mythology of East and South Asia. And um, it like the authors are, I think either entirely or almost entirely women of color. Um, and, uh, oh no, there's men too, but people of color. Um, and, and the reason I'm specifically excited about this one is that my friend Preeti Chibber has a story in here that I have read Yay. and it's so wonderful. Um, but yeah, the the author lineup is great. Renee Adier is in here. Sona Karapotra, um, Roshni Chaksi is in here. Elliot De Bedard, like it's a really really, really, really good lineup of authors. And um, and there's a range, of course, of, in the story. Some of them are fantasy reimagining. Some of them are contemporary or science fiction. But there's going to be a lot of good material in here for you. So um, that's definitely one you should keep an eye out. That's A Thousand Beginnings and Endings, edited by Ellen O. and Elsie Chapman. But since that's not out for a good minute, um, I figured I would give you another option. And Preeti, who I mentioned, who's in that, recommended Fresh Ink and Anthology. Uh, the editor is Lamar Giles, and it's also um, written in partnership with We Need Diverse Books. And the authors include people like Melinda Lowe and Melissa De La Cruz and Daniel Jose Older, all of whom write in fantasy. So there are definitely fantasy stories in this collection. It's not a primarily, like it's not a 100% fantasy anthology, but there will definitely be stories in here that I think you could use. So that is Fresh Ink, an anthology edited by Lamar Giles. Um, what a fun unit also. Like I never, mm -hmm. I never got to do that unit in school. Like, come on. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I'm jealous. I want to I be in that class. All right. Our next question is from Erin, who says, I'm about six weeks away from giving birth to my first child, and I'm looking for something to read that will be a real page turner, but light enough that I can read it during my leave, regardless of how much or how little sleep I'm getting. I read pretty widely in terms of genre, but I do prefer fiction to nonfiction, and I don't really do suspense or thrillers. Okay, I went with a really funny work of literary fiction that reminded me a lot of Where'd You Go, Bernadette, but with a dude, and it's called I'm Having So Much Fun Here Without You by Courtney Mom. 
And this is about a um, an artist named Richard who is in his mid-30s. He lives in Paris. Um, his art career is kind of waning. Like, he's a bit of a has-been. He's not taking as many artistic risks as he used to. He's married to a really beautiful and brilliant French woman. They have a little daughter. He's also got an American mistress who's a bit of a vapid weirdo. Um, and she leaves him. The mistress leaves him for a cutlery designer, uh, which is just hilarious. Like, their breakup scene is so good. Anyway, um, so he is like at first really sad and depressed about it. And then he discovers that like a painting that he made for his wife when they were first married and like that he poured his heart into is being sold by his, not his agent. Is that, I don't know what the, the like art term for that is. Uh, the person who handles it, his manager, there you go, um, has been sold. And it kind of, you know, brings him back to reality and makes him reconsider his marriage. And he decides he's going to recommit to his wife and his career and like really get his life together just in time for his wife to find out that he's been cheating. So his life totally falls apart. And he is the worst. Like he's totally self-absorbed. Uh, the way that he treats his wife and the way that he considers, like, the lens through which he sees his mistress is just ridiculous. The great thing about it is that Courtney Mom is doing it on purpose. Like, she's playing this character for all that he's worth. And it's so well done that you don't hate him. Like, you know that you should hate him and that he's a hateable guy. But you kind of are, like, rooting for him to get it together and, like, get his wife back. Like, you want him to realize what a doofus he is. And he does. Like, the course of this book is him realizing what a doofus he is and, like, deciding to win his wife back and not in a cheesy, um, I have lost this pretty thing and now I want it back kind of way, but in a real way. Um, and in doing that, he rediscovers his ability to make really interesting, explosive, um, and controversial art, which is what he was famous for doing in the first place. So it's really a lot about this artist um, discovering that having money and a mistress and the things that like famous dude artists are supposed to have is actually nonsense garbage. And what he really wants is like the wife he loves and his kid and to make the art that he believes in. Um, so with that said, it's really, really funny. And it sounds, I feel like it sounds heavy because, you know, it's about like an affair and all that, but it isn't like that at all. It's, it's humorous and introspective and it's a fast read. But also, if you put it down and forget about it for three weeks while you're nursing a newborn, that's totally fine. You'll be able to pick it right back up and you will not have, like, forgotten what's happening. Because um, it's not, like, super, super plot-heavy. There aren't a million side characters. Like, you'll be okay. Um, so that's I'm Having So Much Fun Here Without You by Courtney Mom. I picked The Paper Menagerie, which is a short story collection by Ken Liu. Because I do love some short stories um, for when you don't have a lot of time and or sleep. Um, and bonus, these are science fiction and fantasy short stories. So they're they're a little, um, they're occasionally like a little weird or surreal. And, um, and I feel like that plays into being unslept as well. It like makes you feel like if something's weird, you're not missing anything. It's supposed to be weird. Um, and I... I love the stories in this collection. There's one, the title story, The Paper Menagerie, is a story that won the Hugo Nebula, Nebula and World Fantasy Awards. And when you read it, you will know why. It is so good. Um, there's also a very, like, one of my favorite pieces is a super odd little piece called The Bookmaking Habits of Select Species that's kind of like a review of different alien species and how they approach text. And it just, mm -hmm. it sounds really weird and it is really weird, but it's also really beautiful sort of homage to storytelling and the different ways that um, storytelling can look. Uh, and so, yeah, they're just a bunch of a bunch of amazing stories in that collection from start to finish. It's one of my 
favorite story collections that I own. Um, and I think that it will give you feels and also some distraction and will not be too much for when you only have a little time to read and need to pick it up and put it back down. So that's The Paper Menagerie and Other Stories by Ken Liu. It is time for our second sponsor, which is The Birthday Girl by Sue Fortin. Hilariously enough, I just also read this ad for all the books, um, and I, I'm going to say what I said there. It sounds to me, and I haven't read it yet, so I don't know if this is true, but it sounds to me like it's Jawbreakers, but with grown ladies, which is a <laughs> premise I am interested in. So here's here's the synopsis. Um, the main character, Joanne, is turning 40, and she has decided for her birthday that she wants a weekend getaway in a cottage in the woods and none of her friends like really want to do this but they're like well it's her 40th I guess we have to but it turns out that there's more going on here because Joanne is planning to reveal a secret that one of her friends has been hiding and then it turns into a murder scene so one of the party guests has to be the killer and everybody's secrets are unraveling and they're trying to figure out who is the murderer before they strike again so this is one of those chilling thrillers that's good for winter reading haha <laughs> nudge nudge um, about friendship gone wrong so if that sounds good to you if you are also a fan of Jawbreaker but with 40 year old ladies I just think that sounds like so much fun uh, you should pick up The Birthday Girl by Sue Fortin and let's see. The next question is a long one. I'm going to do my best to sum up, but bear with me here. So this is from Courtney, who says, I've just moved from a very queer, loving, and welcoming college campus to a not-so-much-welcoming-and-loving work environment. I'm on a desperate search for stories with badass lesbian and queer women protagonists to to dive into to remind myself my gay POC identity is valid and wonderful and loved on those tough work days. Uh, I just finished Julia Takes a Breath by Gabby Rivera and absolutely loved and I'm dying for another woke read. Uh, let's see. Search criteria. Coming out not being a major plot point. Not YA. Characters in their 20s or 30s. Light, fun, and empower empowering with some humor. Contemporary. Not a mystery thriller or including issues of domestic violence or sexual assault. And a POC protagonist would be awesome, but I understand this list might be a total order, so I'm <laughs> lenient in this category. Uh, also loved Sourdough by Robin Sloan, River of Teeth and Taste of Marrow by Sarah Gailey, uh, Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit, and a few others. Oh, no, Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit was not on the good list. Uh, staying clear of that. Okay, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, I picked for you Holding Still for As Long as Possible by Zoe Whittle. It just does not fulfill the POC requirement. I apologize. Um, but this is one of my favorite books that has queer characters not having anything to do with coming out. Um, so this is about three, primarily three 25-year-olds uh, who are all connected by friendships and relationships who are struggling to deal with different things in their own lives. So um, one of them is a trans man who is a... Um, EMT, like works in an ambulance and like is just trying to figure out what to make of his relationship with his partner, um, who's a woman who is also trying to figure out like why their relationship has hit the rocks um, and what they're going to do about it. Like, are they going to stay together? Are they going to split up? Why isn't, aren't things working anymore? Like, where has the spark gone? Basically your classic romance, like long-term relationship problems. And then there's another character who is like has severe anxiety and is dealing with um, that and like just trying to like be a functional adult, which is not working out super well for her at this point. 
and they all sort of I don't want to give any like spoilers away, but their their lives sort of all interact with each other in um, some unexpected ways. And there are like tough, it like includes tough stuff in that all of them are dealing with real problems, but they're their real problems have nothing to do with their sexual identities, which is so refreshing. Um, and it all takes place in this one neighborhood in Toronto. So it's very like locationally specific and you really feel like you, you are sort of there and, and like interacting with the neighborhood in the same way that they are. I think I once described this as friends, but queer and in Toronto. And that's, I still, I stand by it. Like it, it has some funny, it has some serious, there are like there's a moment where you're like oh no but like ultimately it's got a happy ending and I really enjoyed it and it has really stuck with me I just love talking to people about this book so that's Holding Still for as long as possible by Zoe Whittle okay I picked uh, Nevada by Imogen Biney and this is a story of a woman named Maria she's in her early 20s and she lives in New York City she's a trans woman and she is working at what is very thinly veiled as the strand at this like very large used bookstore in New York. Um, and she is trying to like still be as punk rock as possible while also keeping her job and she fails at it. So she gets fired and then also dumped her girlfriend dumps her on the same day. And she decides that she's got to get out of Dodge, you know, like nothing is going right. Everything is falling apart. Being, a crust punk in New York is not turning out to be as comfortable as one would imagine. Um, although why you would imagine it would be comfortable, I don't know. Anyway, so she steals her girlfriend's car and then decides she's going to drive across the country to see the Pacific and figure out her life and what she wants to do um, and, you know, what kind of job she wants to have and all of this kind of stuff. She's going she's gonna to figure it all out in this st- stolen car um, as she drives across the globe. Okay, so while she is doing that, like outside of Reno, she stops at a Walmart for provisions and meets this kid, James. So she is like watching James live, you know, uh, in Walmart and realizes that he is possibly, probably maybe trans and like befriends James and they go, they like smoke a lot of pot and have a lot of conversations. Not a lot happens, you know, like as I'm describing this book, I'm realizing it sounds kind of boring. It sounds like a woman who has a crisis going off and making some silly choices to discover herself. That's exactly what it is. Like, but that is why I love it so much. I mean, it's a book about a trans woman, but it's not about her coming out. It's not about her transition. Like that has all happened and is done by the time the book starts. And she's just living her life. Like she's just a young woman. I don't know. I don't want to say that she's a Lena Dunham character because I feel like it's a little bit insulting, but you know, she's a girl in New York trying to figure stuff out. Um, and it's funny. Like she's hilarious. She's got that really cynical, hard performative voice that is so entertaining and like that I'm sure more than just me have, have know what it's like to like put that voice on that like hard kind of, um, nothing is, Nothing is whimsical or funny. Everything is the worst. Blah, blah, blah. She's just funny. Like, I just really liked her a lot. Um, And her journey across the country in a stolen vehicle to figure out whether or not she wants to work at Not the Strand anymore is really great. (laughs) I just just love it. I just love it. So that's Nevada by Imogen Biney. Biney, sorry. 
Imogen. I, I said I both of those wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was about the strand, not the strand. That's that's good to know. Yeah, like there's a specific line where she says something about like 58 miles of books. And ah, I was like, oh God. <laughs> boop. I know, what, I know what that is. Okay, our next question is from Jocelyn who says, I just blew through the charming new Amazon, Amazon Prime TV series, The Marvelous Mrs. Mizell, and I'm really thirsting for more content like it. If you haven't had the pleasure, it's about a well-to-do housewife in the late 50s in Manhattan who discovers an incredible talent for raunchy stand-up comedy. It's sharp, witty, smart, and has a good dose of drama. It's by the same folks as Gilmore Girls and is tonally very similar. The main character also reminds me of Joan Rivers a lot. I'd love to read some books that put me in the same mind space while I wait for season two, but I'm not sure where to start. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked Lady Killer, which is a graphic novel by Joelle Jones, Jamie S. Rich, and Chelsea Kane. And it is also about a well-to-do housewife in the late 50s who discovers an incredible talent, but instead of raunchy stand-up comedy, it is murder, which is different. (laughs) Um, So um, it's blurbed as Betty Draper meets Hannibal, which I feel like is maybe an overstatement because she's not a cannibal in any sort of way, but it is Betty Draper meets insert a serial killer of your choice. So Josie's the main character. She's this really perfect wife and mother and you know floor scrubber and whatever like she is a homemaker betty draper homemaker but it turns out that she is also an assassin for hire and when the first comic opens she is being hired to do to like commit another job so there's like all of these really funny uh i mean gruesome but funny uh pages of her like stuffing a body in a trunk while her husband walks up the driveway with his briefcase and like mopping blood off the floor where her neighbors look in and it looks like she's just you know la 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 cleaning her house when in reality there's like a guy on the floor with a stroke cut it's just darkly comedic um it's probably not as maybe wholesome as the show that you uh have loved so much although raunchy stand-up comedy i don't know I mean, Joe Rivers is not wholesome, <laughs> which is why I felt why I felt okay going with this pick um, because you comped it to Joan Rivers, and that is whoo out out there. So I think that I think it'll be okay. But it's the same kind of like it's funny. It's the juxtaposition of her being this really perfect character, this perfect housewife, with like what she actually does is great. Um, and I think it'll get you through. So that's Lady Killer by Joelle Jones, Jamie S. Rich, and Chelsea Kane. For this question, I picked An American Housewife by Helen Ellis, which is a collection of stories. Did I say that already? It's another collection of stories. I'm very collection of stories today. Um, and I haven't read all of them yet, but the ones I have read give me a lot of the same feels that you are talking about, so I think it will work for you. Um, as you might guess from the title, it is about housewives, um, but they are like murderous ladies who lunch. There are treasure hunters. There's a story about the best bra fitter south of the Mason-Dixon line. Like, <laughs> it's really, really um, fun. And there's actually one that takes place in... Uh, an apartment building in Manhattan that is haunted. So that's like a nice comp for the Maisele. I mean, obviously that the TV show doesn't have hauntings, but whatever. Uh, Manhattan. And one of my favorite stories is about a reality TV show that gets like minor celebrities, well, a variety of different levels of celebrities together to go like treasure hunting at um, like, you know, antiques, like street fairs. Um, And it is so sharp and so funny and just really skewers. Like she is a, like this collection is really intent on skewering society. And I just think it's, it's, 
is real is real funny. I I like I laughed out loud many times while reading these stories. Um, Helen Ellis just has the sharpest wit, and you know it made me think like I wonder if she has ever done stand up because I feel like she might be good at it. Um, but yeah, I think I think this collection is definitely along the lines of what you are looking for. Uh, so that is American Housewife by Helen Ellis. And the next question is from Emily, who says, Don't judge, but one of my favorite movies is The Mummy, the one with Brendan Fraser. And years ago, I was swept away by the Anton Ryder series by Bartle Bull, which is similar in tone to The Mummy. I've been having a hard time finding other books that give me a similar feeling. Any recommendations for books that have adventure, maybe a monster, a roguish hero, and some romance? I'm just going to keep talking. I... I feel you. I do also love The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Um, but I was I really wanted to find you one a comp that wasn't like steeped in the mummy's main problem, which is colonialism. And that turns out to be way harder. I mean, I guess I should have been expecting that, but it's super hard to find you a very similar comp that doesn't have that going on. Uh so I picked one that's like a one more step away, but I think will work for you. It's River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey, which is a novella, um, and it's the first in a series, two of which are out now. Um, maybe it's just a two-book series. That's entirely possible. And it takes place in the like late 1800s in America and is a little bit of like a heist slash like, you know, gang of, of rogues. There's a bunch of rogues. Everybody's a rogue, basically. <laughs> um, Winslow Houndstooth has been hired by the United States government to rid the South of an infestation of feral hippos. This is the premise. It's really entertaining. Um, they've like turned the marshlands of Louisiana into like a hippo breeding area. So they've made, you know, dammed up the Mississippi and made it swampy. And this has not turned out well. Like there are hippo farms and ranches, <laughs> hippo ranches that are doing well, but like also there are all these pharaoh hippos like running around eating people, uh, swimming around eating people, I guess is more correct. Um, and so they hire Houndstooth, who used to be a hippo rancher, to like fix this. And they're like not specific as to how. So he is like, great, I'm going to like blow up some stuff <laughs> um, and puts together a team to execute his plan and like get the money from the government. Uh, uh, and, of course, nothing goes according to plan. There's, like, an expert thief and a demolitions expert and a knife woman and all kinds of really fun rogue characters. And the romance is a is between Winslow and the non-binary um, demolitions expert whose name is Hero. So it's a really, but it's like, it's, there's, and almost all of the characters are people of color. Like, at one point, actually, it's a plot point. They're, they're like, oh, shoot, we need a white guy to make this part of the plan go off and we don't have <laughs> one. It's it's really delightful. <laughs> it just kind of like turns that stuff all on its head. So, um, but it has sort of that roguish historical adventure uh, feel to it. There are no monsters aside from the hippos, but let me tell you that I've never been afraid of a hippo before and now I am. So that is River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey. Okay, I went with The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cogman, which is the first in a series called The Invisible Library series, of which I think at this point there are five. Um, and this is, it has a lot of similarities to The Mummy, which I also love. Thank you very much. If, but like if The Mummy was about Evie instead of Brandon Fraser, so about mm. like the librarian. Um, so Irene is the main character of The Invisible Library series. She is a professional spy for what is called dun -dun -dun, The Library, which exists on like, 
a different plane of reality and has doors through which they can access different realities. And the job of the library is to go into these different realities and collect books that are specific to those times and places and dimensions and then take them back and keep them safe so that if something happens to those various realities, there is this piece of the literary history of that place and time, you know, kept. So she uh, works as like an undercover agent for this, this not organization, but like, yeah, I mean, I guess organization. And she's sent with a new assistant named Kai, who is like an, like an intern basically into the library, into another London, which is very steampunky. Um, and it's, it's hard to place the time period because like they have the technology and the magic is, you know, weird. Um, but it's, there are corsets. So like because of the corsets and like hat pins, a lot of the clothing gave me clues that it's maybe Victorianish, maybe Edwardian. So it's a little bit before the, the mummy, but that same kind of, um, you know, old timey adventure kind of thing. So her mission of course is to go to retrieve the dangerous book out of this alternative London. The difference is that this alternative London has descended into a magical chaos, which agents of the library are not supposed to go into these areas because they're very dangerous. Um, and, they can be like really hard to get out supernatural creatures like there are fairies and all of this um and dragons and all these kinds of supernatural creatures each of which influence the level of chaos in a world and so she is confused about why she's being sent she's confused about why she's being sent with like a newbie who now she has to take care of who's got secrets of her own of his own and then they get in there and they get into um trying to find this book and they realize that like secrets of their actual society are wrapped up in what's going on in this alternative London. So there's a little bit of like romantic stuff happening, just a skosh, just a touch. Um, not too, like, it's not as much as happens in The Mummy. They don't get married and have kids. That's not what's happening. But there's some flirtations. There's a very much roguish, except Irene is roguish. Like Kai, her assistant is a guy, but he is not the roguish one. It is her. Um, and there are lots of monsters. There are vampires. There are fairies. There are, um, like I said, there are dragons. And determining which ones are terrible and which ones are going to kill you and which aren't is like an eternal question. There's also earbugs, like the bugs that eat books. Like yeah. those, are, those are really <laughs> uh, kind of like mortal enemies <laughs> in this book, which I thought was a nice touch. Um, so it's got a lot of the same sort of things that you will love about the mummy um in a whole series that you can go read so that's the invisible library by genevieve cogman and that is our show huzzah huzzah so, earworms bugs what, what is that <laughs> ear wigs are they ear wigs this is gonna bug me until i look at it silverfish <laughs> Ugh, they're my least is favorite. that right yeah they're Ugh, disgusting they're so gross like and they're you know we have lots of books in our various living spaces, y'all. So. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. You can please, if you like the show, uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen? I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two N's. We will talk to you all next week. 